0: Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Abide in Liberty, and this is a part two of our review of George Washington's Farewell Address. Last week, we started on this and I highly recommend if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's podcast that you go back and give it a listen so that you get all the context that um, prompted George Washington to write this address and to, to give us some of his words of wisdom. I talked last week about how he warned us to be careful of calling into question or uh, doubting the validity of the principles that this country was based upon and the principles that were built into the Constitution. And there are many aspects of that that we covered. So today, I want to move on to talking about the importance of equal application of the law to everybody. George Washington said, all obstructions to the execution of the laws with the real design to direct, control, counteract, or awe the regular deliberation and action of the constituted authorities are of fatal tendency. They serve to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation, the will of a party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community. However combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. So what is he saying here? He's saying that those who rise to power and want to keep that power will often seek to excuse themselves from the consequences of the law while inflicting the consequences of the law on those who oppose them and the purpose of doing that is to enhance and cement their own power while diminishing the power of those that oppose them now this is something that we have seen applied from many leaders and many politicians since our country's inception and by many uh, political parties throughout history. One of the earliest examples that I'm aware of is the Alien and Sedition Acts that the Federalists passed under the presidency of John Adams and with the support of Alexander Hamilton, where any derogatory news articles published against the President of the United States was responded to with legal action, and people were imprisoned. This was not a highlight of our country. So we see these these tendencies from the very beginning of our country, and we certainly see them today. Most recently and most notably, this is something that is all over the news, is the light treatment of Hunter Biden, President Joe Biden's son, and all of the crimes that there is video <laughs> evidence of him committing. And these things are more disgusting than I'm going to talk about on On this podcast, because I know I have uh, some students that listen to this, but then compared with the heavy-handed application of the law that um, President Trump has been subjected to and how his opponents have attempted to lay every crime under the sun at his feet, and they found a few things, maybe some mishandling of documentation, but the fact, I mean, this is just a stark example of how those in power are trying to preserve their own power their own credibility by putting down opposition while minimizing the effect of the law on theirs and their own now i don't want to just say that you know poor trump is the victim here i'd be a little bit more inclined to feel sorry for him if he hadn't responded saying that because this political persecution cat is now out of the bag he's going to respond in kind and seek his vengeance uh and that he intends to retaliate, that is that's no good. We cannot let that cycle. Yes, um, President Biden, in a big way, has kind of started that cycle, but it doesn't become a cycle unless it's responded to. That knife will cut both parties at some point. And who are going to be the casualties? It's going to be you and I that are caught in the crosshairs we need to start now to apply justice evenly, and we cannot wait until after one side gets the revenge that it feels it deserves. Without that, we are destined to repeat this cycle. We become a banana republic, and that's the end of the great experiment of the United States of America. Because if Trump seeks his revenge, and many would agree that he is being wrongfully, or at least, the law is being unequally applied here. And it obviously is. Now, whether you agree that Trump deserves it or Hunter deserves it is irrelevant. It is being unevenly applied. And if you believe that he that he has been wronged and is due his revenge, well, I, I can guarantee that the opposing party doesn't see themselves as deserving of that. They will see themselves as the ones who are wrong and will then seek their revenge. And it's a cycle that just perpetuates itself. So... What, whoever is the next president of the United States, I hope they ask themselves, what would George Washington do? And as trite as it may sound, what would Jesus do? What did Christ teach? He taught turn the other cheek. Oh, no, but that doesn't apply to politics. Uh, well, wait a second. I don't remember that exemption. I don't remember the Christ saying turn the other cheek unless you're involved in politics. In fact, I think he was talking to a bunch of politicians who were vying for power. They were at least in his audience. There were Pharisees there and Sadducees, politicians who uh, believed strongly in an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. No, when Christ teaches one of those principles, that applies to everything. Politics is not somehow above Christian principles. If anything, politics needs them almost more than any other arena in society. And what does that mean? you just have to let those enemies of freedom or those who are trying to do things unconstitutional run roughshod over the freedoms that we enjoy? Of course not. That doesn't mean that revenge is appropriate. Not if we want to course correct, not if we want to stop the unequal application of the law, not if we want to return to equal protection under the law, the idea that all men are created equal. All right. Another topic that George Washington felt was important for us to address was the spirit of party. He said, let me take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another and foments occasionally riot and insurrection. Now, party politics is something that has reached a fever pitch, unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime, and I've not been alive all that long, but um, this is something that certainly is tearing our country apart now, and President Washington warned us of that. It, it tends to place people into two camps where one is opposed to the other, and it becomes very difficult to see commonalities because the focus is so completely on differences The other problem that he points out here is that it enfeebles the public administration and agitates things. So it has the effect of pretty much shutting off the collective mind of America. No one thinks anymore. They don't criticize their own side. They just accept the party line or whatever their favorite political party is telling them, and they vote D or R on the ballot, and then they go home with pride having filled their civic duty when they put less thought into deciding who will lead this nation forward than they put into deciding what shoes they were going to put on that morning. He also warns that the spirit of party can lead to riot and insurrection. We saw this leading up to the 2020 election where many Democrats threatened riots in the street if Donald Trump were elected. And we saw the same thing when, when Republicans made good on that promise and there were riots at the Capitol building. When Trump voters were frustrated with not knowing whether the election was legitimate or not. Both sides felt justified in their position, I'm sure. But neither side actually was. This is a perfect example where we see the realization of Washington's fear that the spirit of party leading to riot, leading to violence, and leading to even more division. He goes on to say, there is an opinion that parties in free countries are useful checks upon the administration of the government and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty. So he's saying, look, there some will say that there is some legitimate purpose to having political parties, that there is some check on the government that this is maybe positive in some way. And he concedes that this within certain limits is probably true. From their natural tendency, it is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose. So he's saying, whether we like it or not, for any benefits that there could be from having political parties, there will be plenty of this party, the there will be plenty of the spirit of party to meet any of those positive benefits. But he says that effort ought to be by force of public opinion to mitigate and assuage it. It's a fire not to be quenched. It demands a uniform vigilance to prevent its bursting into a flame, lest instead of warming, it should consume. Are our party politics consuming us? I think there's pretty good evidence that the answer to that is yes. You know, I listened this week to a summit that Blaze put on where several Republican candidates came and presented their case to the country, and my favorite— not because I know a whole lot about him yet, and I'm curious to see where he goes, but it was Vivek Ramaswamy. And one of the things he said is that on the campaign trail, he's kind of stopped talking about Republican. You know, in this system, the way it's set up, you have to pick a party. You just have to align yourself somewhere. But he he talked about and articulated his goal to lead out in a vision of what it means to be an American, how he wanted to return to traditional values, strong families, a strong economy, government back under control and small removing redundant agencies and spending, getting spending and inflation back under control. He wanted energy independence and strong borders, but good immigration policy as well, having come from immigrant stock himself and equal protection for all under the law. Now, many people might look at that who are Democrat and say, yeah, he's a Republican. He's just saying that. Or you may hear things that you might actually agree with if we were to sit down and talk about it. But Um, simply because he's a Republican, we're not going to pay any attention. And on the flip side, you could have a Republican watching a similar debate from among Democrats, or maybe you don't even take the time to listen to what they're saying. And maybe they have values and they're trying to do things that you agree with, but simply because there's a D after their name, you're not even going to listen to what they have to say. I'm not even going to listen to what they have to say. Whoever is not going to listen. We've got, I worry so much that Republicans will write off Democrats and vice versa simply because they belong to the opposite party. And for no other reason than that, nothing um, that's analytically sound, not for any reason of any substantive reason. Anyways, my firm belief is that we should look at those who espouse the right values and policies, regardless of the party. We have got to, yes, parties are a part of life. I don't propose or think it's possible that that's something that we can just wipe away and say, no more parties, just vote for your favorite guy. It's too entrenched in our system. But what we can do as citizens is stop caring so much of looking at who they are, what they stand for, how they voted, what values and principles are they proposing and, and policies are they trying to move forward? Do they align with the, with the supreme law of the land, the constitution and vote accordingly? We've got to elect virtuous leaders that will lead our country in accordance with God's will and that constitution. Get over your favorite party already. They both, every party in this country is chock full of people who are power hungry, who have no idea what the constitution says, and who have supported policies and people who are actively working to overthrow the freedom of this country. And conversely, I believe that there are people in all parties who legitimately love this country, who want to sustain and defend the Constitution of the United States. After seeing everything that's going on with our elected officials, I'm not sure how many of those folks have actually ended up in elected office. But I believe that the majority of Americans believe that, that want that. Yeah, yes, we may differ on some policies, but at the core, I hope, anyways, that there's still a lot of common ground there. If not, then we're in much bigger trouble. The next point that George Washington made was about how to go about changing the Constitution. You know, this might seem a little strange coming from a guy who just eight years before had sat on the Constitutional Convention. A lot of times when you create something like this, you, you've you created something, you've put your heart and your soul into it, and someone comes along and wants to change it, it's really easy to be offended by that or to want to just hold on to the purity of that original peace a little bit longer. But the Founding Fathers were incredibly practical, and they knew that it needed to be changed, that, that society was going to advance, that technology was going to advance, that there were going to be problems that they couldn't possibly anticipate. So they built a system that could be flexible to those changes. He said, if in the opinion of the people, the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers be in any particular wrong, let it be corrected by an amendment in the way which the Constitution designates, but let there be no change by usurpation. For though this, in one instance, may be the instrument of good, it is custom; it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. And we have absolutely seen that in practice. Now, he may, I'm not sure exactly who he had in mind. He was very good friends with Alexander Hamilton, but it's possible that he saw Hamilton's flip-flop on interpreting the general welfare clause of the constitution at one point it was very clear to everybody that that was only that that wasn't meant to be an all-encompassing catch-all that allowed the government to do anything and everything it wanted yet Alexander Hamilton when he came to a position, a position of power and I love the guy he did incredible things for this country but you know he was an example of what they all knew they would be tempted to do and that was to try and stretch and reach for more power because they were tr- they firmly believed that they would use that power to do something good. He may have seen Alexander Hamilton trying to justify right. doing more than was constitutional by stretching the meaning of that general welfare clause and have seen that that was going to be something that others would try to attempt. I'm not sure, but either way, this was another very prophetic insight from George Washington. Religious liberty was destroyed in this country, not through a constitutional amendment, but through usurpation by a Supreme Court interpreting something in a way that was not originally intended by those who wrote the Constitution. Abortion was legalized through Roe v. Wade through similar legal gymnastics, a Supreme Court reading between the lines and inferring meaning into an amendment that was never intended by those who passed it. Rather than doing the hard work of passing an amendment, they just did it by usurpation, by reinterpretation. Now, for example, if, if you don't like the Second Amendment, I happen to like it because I believe it was inspired. I believe that it was meant to protect against tyrannical government. But if you don't agree with that, we can have that disagreement. You don't have to agree with that. But too many states have restricted the right to keep and bear arms because they simply want to. When it's not constitutional, they've done that by usurping authority that the Constitution doesn't allow them rather than going through the amendment process. Now, a lot of people are very frustrated by the amendment process because you've got to get 75% of the states to agree with you. I mean, this is one of the primary reasons why it took so long to abolish slavery. There was a majority of the states in the North who wanted to abolish slavery, but it was just barely over 50% of them that did, and they needed to get up to 75%. And so we had to fight this long, bloody civil war, and eventually we were able to pass amendments that abolished and banished slavery once and for all. And some people will look at that and say, "Well, that." And this is kind of going back to to George Washington's point. If we ignore the amendment process, in some instances, that may be the instrument of good. And you can make the case that if an exception had been made in the case of slavery, then that could be a good thing. Well, what about something you care about? Maybe you're very pro Second Amendment, and if we make an exception for slavery, we've got to make an exception for everything else as well. And that may not cut the way you want it to go next time. Maybe you think that's a worthwhile sacrifice, but the point of that amendment process was to ensure that when change was absolutely necessary, when people, the vast majority of people agreed with it, it would be possible to bring about that change and make it permanent, make it very, very difficult to go back on. The other flip side of this is had we gotten rid of slavery, perhaps we could have gotten rid of it earlier without that lengthy, arduous, difficult hurdle of 75% in order to pass an amendment. But on the flip side, if we'd been able to make that change with just a bare majority of 50.1%, then who's to say that 10 years later it couldn't have flip-flopped? And we would have been stuck in this horrible position of, not knowing, I mean, of not knowing whether you're free this year, this election cycle, or not the next. Now, there are pros and cons to both of this. There's not a perfect solution. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with imperfect people, imperfect societies, um, there's going to be some inefficiencies, plain and simple. And the government of the United States was built intentionally to move slowly, but predictably, and allow changes once they occur, to really cement and take root and become permanent. And there's a lot of practical wisdom in that. All right, guys, I apparently am too long-winded. We're out of time again, and we are not quite through going through George Washington's farewell address. So check back next week, and we will wrap up in part three of this series. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.